Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Duncan Wardle, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you today? Good. Thank you very much indeed. Can you tell us and the listeners a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are today, and what you're most excited about right now? Probably got there by luck. <laughs> now, I've worked for the Walt Disney Company for 30 years. I started as a barman in the Rosen Crown pub at Epcot. Uh, then I went back to London to the heavy heights of Cappuccino Boy. Uh, for the first 20 years, I grew up through public relations and got to do some audacious and outrageous stunts for the Walt Disney Company, such as sending my son's Buzz Lightyear into space on a space shuttle for the opening of Toy Story and um, having him spend 18 months in space as the longest serving astronaut in space, I have you know. He's now in the Smithsonian Museum. And so, you know, I hit the 30-year kind of, you know, it's a big big milestone. And I got the bronze Jiminy Cricket, thank you for 30 magical years of service. And I kind of looked at it and thought, okay. And here's why I do what I do now. Um, I do believe, I believe everybody's creative. I don't believe the creatives are more creative than anybody else. Yes, they can draw better, they can paint better, they can write music better. But uh, I'm sorry, I, I respectfully disagree. I believe everybody is creative. We're all born a child. We all used to play in the box. But as we grow, we are told, oh, you're in finance, you're in legal, you're in strategy, you're, in st- you're not creative. And eventually we're stupid enough to believe it. And I think it's just about giving back the tools to people to remind them that they can be creative and to give them the confidence to do it again. There's a massive gap in the market. Every CEO right now knows that innovation is no longer trendy. For most of the big legacy brands, it's about survival. Um, I think less than 50% was survived the last 10 years. Brands that you and I have grown up with and considered unassailable because their CEOs are standing up at a pulpit saying, you need to think different. We need to innovate. We must disrupt. I encourage you to be brave. And all their employees are sitting there saying, that's great, you can show me how. And nobody's teaching people how to innovate by simply giving them a simple toolkit that makes innovation easy, creativity tangible, and the process fun. Companies hate the word fun because they think it doesn't imply business results. You can't change a culture. Uh, Only your employees can change the culture for you. And they'll only do it if they choose to do it. And so you must create a process for them, a creative problem-solving process that makes innovation easy, creativity tangible, and the process fun. Because Fred and Sally have worked for you for one year or 20 years. They have no incentive to use it unless they enjoy it. And that's, I believe, what I consider to be the gap in the market. That's what I do now. And I thoroughly enjoy doing it. So let's talk a little bit about that toolkit, about that process. What's in that toolkit and what does that process look like? Well, it's a design thinking process. It's not dis- Here's the difference. It's not dissimilar to one that IDEO would use or one that um, Disney would use. Um, I would argue though, all I did was dumb it down so normal people could use it. You don't have to have an MBA. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have, well, that's all I've done. It's a series of creative behaviors and tools that enable you sort of, step one is, okay, let's make sure we're working on the right thing in the first place. And I'll tell you the importance of that. So for example, because most of us end up working on a project for you know, two days, two weeks, two months, and suddenly you think, hey, guys, we're working on the wrong thing. Well, if you work to start one degree off, you're going to finish 180 degrees off. We've all worked on projects like that. So if you cast your mind back to the 60s during the space race, the Soviets and the United States of America were in a space race to get to the moon first. And they had lots of innovations. You know, they asked themselves questions like, what would the astronauts wear? What would they eat? 
how would they get there? How would they land? How would they take off? And then ultimately, how would we communicate? So NASA put out a brief saying, uh, we, want a pen, we need a pen that writes in space. And that's exactly what they got. Fisher Industries won the bid. And they created this incredible pen that writes in zero gravity, writes upside down, writes at zero degrees, writes at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was an incredible in innovation. And so as time went on and Dayton, so the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviets became Russians and the Americans and Russians started partnering on the International Space Station, they very proudly, obviously, showed each other the innovations they'd been they'd used to help get them into space in the last 30 years. And the US astronauts showed them the Fisher Space Industries pens and, and the Russians were blown away with it. And they said, wow, they made us use pencils. Well, <laughs> if, they'd if they'd paused for a moment at the beginning of the project and asked, why do we need a pen? Uh, well, we need a pen to communicate in space. Well, why do you need a pen to communicate? In we need something that can write in space. Well, guess what? Pencils can write in space. <laughs> They can write upside down. They can write in zero gravity. But so that's kind of step one. And that's a really important phase. It's really, I think, the stage that most people go past. Step two is how do I go out and gather insights by looking in places where my competition isn't looking uh, so that I can come up with insights for innovation. Step three is moonshot thinking. How do I get out of my own river of expertise, my river of thinking and think differently? And step four is, okay, I've got all of these ideas. Now, how do I know which one's right for the consumer? best for the business and how do I take it to market? So that's sort of in its simplest stages. It has a series of behaviors, eight creative behaviors, which if the leadership don't buy in the creative behaviors, the tools won't make any difference. So for example, one of the, uh, the creative behaviors that I talk about is playfulness. So let me ask you a question. Uh, just close your eyes, it's a word association. And I want you to shout out the first answer that comes into your mind. Please don't think about it, just shout it out. Where are you usually and what are you doing when you get your best idea? Shower. Shower. Okay. So you're going to hear people say shower, bicycle ride, walking, driving, commuting, falling asleep, waking up, drinking coffee, drinking a large glass of something, jogging, uh, driving, you name it. You, you will not hear that. It doesn't matter how many people you ask, you're not going to hear the word at work. So mm -hmm. that's a bummer because you're paying to have big ideas at work. So now close your eyes again and picture the last verbal argument you were in with somebody. You don't have mm -hmm. to tell me about it. I just want you to picture it for a minute. And so the argument's over. You're angry at Fred. Fred, you son of a bitch, you blind copied my boss on that email. I'll never work with you again. You storm out of the office. You're angry at Fred. You slam the door. You get in your car. You go down to your local coffee shop. You get a cappuccino. You're sitting down. A bit more relaxed five or ten minutes after the argument's over. What just popped into your head? What you should have said or what I should have said. Yes. Yeah, the killer one-liner. The one line you wished you'd said. Oh, yeah. That one line that you thought, oh, I would have got him there. That, right? I would have got him, right? You can write volumes and volumes and volumes of books and chapters on the perfect one line you never delivered. Well, why, why is it like that? Because your brain in an argument is very busy. It's busy defending itself. Guess what your brain looks like in the office? It's very busy doing emails, doing presentations. Doing, and we hear ourselves say, I don't have time to think. And yet the second you gave yourself time to think and you stepped into the shower, you moved away from the argument, you came up with a kid on one line or, or, the, big, or the big idea but we don't give ourselves time to think. The, the challenge is, like, is this, your brain is 87% subconscious, only 13% conscious. We use 13% of our brain 95% of the day. But all of that subconscious, every industry you've ever worked on, every challenge you've ever worked on, every meal you've ever, every place you've ever, every person, it's all back there to help you solve a challenge. But you can't open the door between your conscious and subconscious brain when you're stressed at work. But the moment you walk away, 
bang, there it is, the big idea. And so I run energizers. I encourage people to be playful. I don't expect people to be playful every minute of every day. That would be great fun, but you wouldn't get any work done. But I do encourage people, particularly leaders, to be playful when it is required. There's another, uh, actually, we'll, we'll demonstrate another one that I think can change cultures. We all know that the more experience, the more expertise we get, the more reasons we know why this new idea won't work. So we go straight to no because. You've heard it, right? So let's, let's see if this works. We've got $50,000 for tonight's party. I'm gonna pitch an idea at you. Uh, the first two words I want you to use are no because, and I want you to give me any reason you want as to why we shouldn't be doing this idea. So now tell me, are you, are you more familiar with Harry Potter, Marvel, Disney, or Star Wars? Where do you wanna play? Uh, let's play with Harry Potter. All right, Harry Potter. Okay, so right, we could turn the room that you're into right now into the dining room inside Hogwarts, right? And people could choose if they were Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, or Ravenclaw. No, because there's no way we can book a room tonight and have all that done in time. Okay, I'll tell you what then. So we'll go to, we'll do an outdoor party. In fact, we'll make it a Quidditch tournament. And whoever wins um, actually gets to go and stay inside Diagon Alley in Universal Studios overnight. No, because we don't have that many brooms or could possibly invite that many people in time for something this evening. Okay, so how about we just do a sort of a themed food and wine festival based around Hogwarts and magic? No, because I don't think it'll be good enough if we can't invite as many people as we need to make it a good party tonight. Okay, so we started with turning the dining room into a, you know, a major uh, Hogwarts. Then we went to Quidditch, and then the idea starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And for most people, once you get your second no because, you tend to just shut up and drink your cappuccino and let them go, right? So now mm -hmm. there's a slightly different way of doing it. We're going to stay with Harry Potter, which has still got $50,000. The first two words out of your mouth for each response, I want you to use the word yes and, okay? Mm -hmm. So... I was thinking we could go outside, out in your back garden, and we could create a Quidditch tournament. Yes, and we could host a big dinner for the winning team after. Oh, yes, and everybody could come dressed in cloaks, and we could all give them costumes, and we could actually invite some of the stars from the movie to come. Yes, and let's do a viewing party for all seven movies after, or eight movies after. Ooh, yes, and we'll create a new butterbeer that actually has alcohol in it. Yes, and all of the food will be themed Harry Potter. We'll make it an annual event and we'll invite uh, North America to come. <laughs> so see, so here's the difference. So let me ask you, did the idea get bigger or smaller second time around? Bigger in every, in every case. Okay. And by the time you and I had finished building the idea, whose idea was it? Ours. Bingo. The moment you can transfer the power of my idea to our idea is the moment you can accelerate its opportunity to get done. You've got lots mm. of bureaucracy, lots of people that don't want to work, lots of local government, lots of rules inside an organization, lots of chiefs. But the moment you can transfer power of my idea to our idea is the moment you actually accelerate its opportunity to actually get done. And you remind people, hey guys, we are not green lighting this idea for execution today. We are just greenhousing this idea together. And simply by using the word yes and, you'd be amazed, you make the idea bigger not smaller and you turn transfer power of my idea into our idea and so nurturing is a, or greenhousing an idea is very important when somebody comes at you with an idea it's very raw right let's say we're both working on a pizza hut idea to drive more sales in september you come up and you say pete fluffy slippers 
Well, your instant reactions don't be so stupid, but put your brain on pause for a moment. When somebody throws out a raw idea, that's all it is. They haven't put any thought into it. But seek to understand that idea by asking questions. Well, why, why, why pink fluffy slippers exactly? Well, didn't you know it was Breast Cancer Awareness Month? Wow. And I was thinking we could do a hot pink pizza. We'll call it the screaming hot chili pink pizza with hot pink pepperoni, hot pink chilies, uh, 25 cents on the dollar goes to Breast Cancer Awareness. And anybody who orders a Uber Eats gets a pair of themed pink pizza slippers. And suddenly you're like, wow, that's a really good idea. But if you shot them down right at the beginning by just saying no because, You'd never have got there. And they may have genius now. They may have genius two hours from now. But if you shoot them down, if your first reaction to every new idea that walks in the door is no because, you can always take a big idea and value engineer it down. You can't take a small idea and turn it into a big one. It doesn't work that way. So what I'm seeing is like a theme that's developed uh, over the past 15 minutes uh, around time and time to think. And what happens in that knee-jerk reaction to, to something that we've heard uh, or something that we've seen in that meeting or in that instance where you decide to or suggest that we could throw a big party, that we could have pink fluffy slippers, that we could do anything, mm-hmm. how do I give myself time in that moment to be able to think bigger? How do I break the yeah. habit? Yeah. No, that's very fair. I run energizers, and here's why I run an energizer. If I run an energizer, it's a, it's a two to three. So, how do you get to that brain state where you are when you're in the shower, when you come up with the bigger, when you're jogging, when you're about to fall asleep, when you're about to wake up? How do you get into that brain state on demand? I think is your question. And it's quite easy. You run an energizer, and the reason you run an energizer is just a small exercise. People can find them on my site at duncanwardle.com forward slash ignite. You'll find some energizers there. They're just small two to three minute exercises. And their only success criteria is that you want to make people laugh. The moment I hear laughter, I know that I've opened that door between your conscious and subconscious brain that we talked about earlier on. Just wide enough that you can actually access all of your subconscious brain, but still make informed decisions. And so giving yourself time on demand is actually just by running energizers in the middle of a meeting. The other thing you might consider doing, again, about giving people time, I always brief in the session three or four days before the actual session itself. Why? Mm. Because in those three or four days, hopefully people will take a shower, some will go jogging, some will go running, some will go commuting, some will go driving, they'll all fall asleep. They'll all go to wherever it is they go to when they have their best ideas. And suddenly you're not starting from scratch at nine o'clock on Monday morning. Let's, let's play this out. I love a five and a 10 year plan. Hypothetically, I've got my vision board in my bedroom and I can't wait to achieve what I'm going to achieve in five to 10 years. That said, if you ask me where, if I was going to be where I am five to 10 years ago, there's very little that my vision board will show that is ultimately where I am right now. So I think that we're really good at planning, dreaming, envisioning a five or a 10 year goal and building these vision boards. But I don't necessarily think that we're all that considerate when it comes to bringing agile thinking or sprinting or OKR type methodology to our personal lives. How can we be better at redefining success and giving ourselves time and space in who we're becoming while still being driven by a longer term goal? Yeah, there's a series of tools that I used when I left Disney to help me think about what I wanted to do next. So uh, one of the tools that was created by Walt Disney. Uh, Walt, if you saw Fantasia, 
wanted it to mist during glacial uh, showers. He wanted heat pumped into the theatre during nights mm -hmm. on a bare mountain. And the theatre owner said, no, Walt, too expensive. So Walt listed the rules of going to movie theatre. It's dark, it's dirty, you have to sit and see, you have to go at a set time, can only watch one movie at a time. I, Walt, can't control the environment. So he said, what if I could? Well, that wasn't provocative enough. So he said, well, wait a minute, what if I take my movies out of the theatre? Well, that's certainly provocative in 1940. Well, he said, well, imagine a world where I can make that happen. So he said, well, if I take my movies out of the theatre, they can't be two-dimensional. Well, what if I made them three-dimensional? If I made them three-dimensional, I'd need to have have to have people play the characters. Well, if I had people play the characters, I can't have Cinderella live next to David Crockett. People wouldn't be immersed in her story. I'll put them in different lab. Uh, oh, I know, I'll call it Disneyland. The biggest mm. creative solution in the 20th century. Fast forward to Blockbuster. So think about vision and moving forward. Uh, blockbuster video, you used to go, I used to go. We both used to have late fees. We were both fed up of it. Reed Hastings, who founded Netflix, used the same Thomas Walt, he listed the rules of going to Blockbuster. You have to be kind of rewind. You can only rent three at a time. You never get the one you want on opening day weekend. You have to go when they're open. You have to drive to a physical store. And he took that one rule in 2005 and said, what if there was no physical store? That was an absurd suggestion in 2005. And he said, well, imagine a world where I could make that work. Well, guess what? YouTube had already been around for close to a decade. YouTube streamed Amazon content. So he just asked himself, what if I streamed professional content? Well, if I stream professional content, nobody would have to be kind of rewind. Nobody would have to drive to a physical store. Everybody would get the one they want opening day weekend. And I'll cut the rental off at 24 hours. Nobody will pay let fees. I know. I'll call it Netflix. I'll take my ideas of Blockbuster video five times. They'll turn me down five times. I'll take them out of business in less than five years. And, you know, it's easy to look at Disney and Netflix. Say, oh, those guys, they've got so much money. I could never do that. Well, there was a very small company in Great Britain that used to make glasses that we drink out of. And they, um, they noticed there was too much breakage on the shop floor. So they went down, used the same tool, listed all the rules, 26 employees, conveyor belt, 12 glasses to a box. Each box made of cardboard, corrugated cardboard separating the glasses. Glasses being wrapped in newspaper, employees reading newspaper. Hmm. Maybe that's where the breakage and the production issues. So somebody asked a relatively provocative what if question, what if we poke their eyes out? Well, you cannot poke the rise out. It's against the law and it's not very nice. But because he had the courage to ask the audacious question, the ridiculous what if question, he got everybody out of their river of thinking. The ladies sitting next to him said, well, wait a minute, why don't we just hire blind people? So they did. Production went up over 50%, breakage went down 26%, and the British government gave them a 50% salary subsidy for hiring people with disabilities. So just by taking your own challenge, your own industry and your own rules, and listing all those rules and asking what if those rules no longer existed? And then imagining a world where they might, you can come up with some very different ideas as to how you might develop your own career. Uh, you know, so when I left Disney, one of the things that, you know, people said, well, you're gonna have to list, you know, the first thing is, what other company did I want to work for? And the first rule I wrote down was, I don't want to work for anybody else. What if I work for myself? Well, that was a fairly mm -hmm. absurd suggestion to two and a half years ago. <laughs> you know, I was, I was uh, the head of innovation and creativity for the Walt Disney Company. So I said, imagine a world where I could make that work. And so I started to look around and see where I could make it work now. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I help companies, I help Apple, I help Amazon, I'm helping some, the NBA. We're working on a really fun project about the NBA, basically saying, hey, you know what? Virtual basketball revenue will exceed basketball revenue in less than 15 years. They piloted two wow. teams this year for the Orlando Magic and the New York Knicks. And guess what? The Orlando Magic gets 18,000 people to a real game. And guess what? They get 28,000 people to a virtual game in Madison Square Garden. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
So where will, you know, so it's, it's, there are a variety of tools to use to help get you. It's about getting you out of your river of thinking, your area of expertise. And so do you, have, we'll try another experiment now. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper to hand? Sure do. Cool. I'm going to name an object. You're going to draw it, but you only get seven seconds. I would like you to draw a, a house. Seven, house. six, five, four, three, Done. two, one. Okay, I'm going to describe your house. Your house is made of a square. In the middle of the square at the bottom, you've drawn a door. Either side of the door, just above the door, you've drawn two windows and you've chosen to put bars over them. And not only that, but the roof you've drawn is a triangle. How accurate is that description? 95%. No bars over the windows. Everything else is... Okay. Uh... All right. So I was working with a group of uh, Disney Imagineers. We were designing a new retail dining and entertainment complex for Hong Kong Disneyland. And uh, I had in the room 12 white American architects. And I, so I brought in as my naive expert. Now, the role of the naive expert is not to solve the challenge for you. The role of the naive expert is they will ask the silly question that you're too embarrassed to ask in front of your peers. They will throw out the audacious idea ungoverned by your politics and your turf. Their role is not to solve the challenge for you. Their role is to say something to get you out of your river of thinking and thinking differently. I asked everybody in the room, but I invited in as my naive expert a chef from China because she was female, not male, because she was Chinese, not American, because she was a chef, not an architect, and because she was under 30. So she thought differently to everybody in the room. So when I asked them to draw a house, I knew what I was going to get. I got what you drew. Uh, because our river of thinking tells us that's what a house should look like. All of our years of experience and expertise. Well, she drew dim sum architecture, which if you've never seen it before, is a round bamboo dish that your dim sum comes in uh, and with a window and a chimney and a little Chinese lady waving out the window. When we showed the pictures to each other, we all laughed because everybody else realized we'd all stayed in our river of thinking of what a house should look like. She gave us permission to get out of our river of thinking and think differently. Um, if you think about the image, dim sum architecture, well, somebody stuck a post-it note over it on the way out the door that said, distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. Seven years later, the strategic brand positioning for the Shanghai Disney Resort that guided everything we built was distinctly Disney, authentically Chinese. So wow. what, by actually having somebody come in to your, whatever you're working on, who doesn't work in your industry and doesn't work for you, diversity is innovation. If people don't look like you, they don't think like you. And if they don't think like you, they will help you think differently. And most companies do not understand the power of diversity. They think it's political correctness and percentages. They don't understand what they've got. Duncan, this has been a truly uh, fantastic podcast. And, and for those who are listening in, um, know that uh, Duncan is, is all over the world now speaking about creativity innovation. And I've had the pleasure of seeing him twice now and uh, can say firsthand that it is a phenomenal transformational experience. Duncan, where can people follow along and, and, and watch you fly? A social, it's Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N-J for John, Wardle, W-A-R-D-L-E is my social handle. And my website is Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N, Wardle, W-A-R-D-L-E dot com. Anything you want to leave us with today? Yeah, stop paying people to do keynotes. That's outrageous because that's what I do for a living, isn't it? Ooh, so here's the conference industry needs to be blown up. We, put, we buy in, we get in people from Apple and Disney and Nike. Why? Because it helps us sell tickets. We make money. Do I care about the people in the audience? No, I just want to make money. People don't learn by listening. They learn by doing. 
And most of my work is getting in a room for a day with a group of people who've been told for years they're not creative and they can't innovate. And I love getting in a room with people like that. Good people, they've worked for you for one year or 20 years. They don't think they can do it. And you see the smile on their face at some point during the day when they think, I could do this. I take enormous pride from that. And I, I get, I just, people learn by, and I, you know, give, I suppose if I were to close with anything, give yourself time to think. One of the most innovative companies in the world is Google. What is their secret source? They have a company policy called 20% time. Their engineers get 20% time. In return, they got Gmail, Google Goggles, Google Maps, and self-driving cars. Maybe once a month, have a brown bag breakfast on the first Friday of every month, stand around a breakfast table, and just ask people to come in and talk about things they saw in the last month that they thought was innovative or creative. Maybe the first Friday of every month, no emails, no presentations, no phone calls, no meetings. Shocker. Oh, we can't do that. Why not? Well, we've always had a weekly meeting. Why do you always have a week? Well, because we've always had it. Challenge the rules. The level of disruption that's coming in the next decade demands that you challenge the rules. Between artificial intelligence, blockchain, and a generation of generation Z who care more about your purpose than your profit who do, will not buy your products and services if they don't believe in what you stand for, nor do they want to work for you. So guess what? How on earth will you remain relevant as a brand if people don't want to work for you? And so it, you, the, the level of disruption that's coming is both thoroughly exciting, a little bit terrifying, but it demands that you think differently and disrupt because the level of disruption that's coming is going to shake a lot of legacy brands out. Challenge the rules, get out of your river of thought, and give yourself time to think. Duncan, thanks so much for joining today. I really appreciate it and can't wait to hopefully share a stage with you, assuming keynotes are still around in the next one. (laughs) Thank you very much. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.